CSUS News Podcast Series, and today our episode is Saddle Up, and the reason it's called that is because drones for a short amount of time were um, legal today, and we're going to talk about that, and uh, today we've got our, our co-host, Mr. Um, Gene Robinson, and we also have Mr. Gus Calderon, so uh, maybe you both could say hello, Gene first. Well, hello there, Gus and Patrick. We're just uh, all kind of trying to swim against the tide in the avalanche of emails and phone calls, aren't we? (laughs) It's crazy. Uh, Same here. I I agree, and thanks for having me on the show. I'm trying to keep up. uh, Everybody's seeking out more information, and uh, I don't think I can keep up with all the phone calls either (laughs) and emails. Uh, it's been it's been a little crazy uh, since last night. Uh, the phone's been ringing off of the hook. It's it's an avalanche. Um, but uh, you know the news is very interested in it. Can't keep up with the. Uh, I cannot keep up with everything that's going on. I mean, it's just the Twitter, the the. Uh, it's nuts. Anyway. We are going. We're, we're really talking about the uh, the judge ruling that um, commercial drones are legal or business drones are legal, and uh, I wanted to talk about that. And I want to also talk about the appeal that the FAA has responded to, which kind of surprises me. That well, it does demonstrate one thing: that when the FAA is motivated, they can do stuff quick. <laughs> you make a point. That's a good point. Yeah, well, you know, it's taken them what, you know, that it's in 2007 that they changed the policy, and then we had the ARC thing in 2009, and it's just like the years just just drag on. And, you know, but when we want to get something done, it can go right and and make it happen. But uh, I don't know. Um, Gene, let's let's have some of your uh, impressions of... Well, you know, I... I I woke up this morning, Patrick, and I was so excited. I grabbed a Spectra, slapped a camera in it, ran out on the main street and said, quick, let me take your picture. Give me $5. I'll take your picture. <laughs> and, you know, I just wanted to feel what that felt like just for a little bit to know that it was legal. Uh, and, and, I, you know, uh, people looked at me like I was a little odd, but I got one taker, and, you know, hey, it felt great. It felt great. <laughs> How about you, Gus? Honestly, one of the first calls I got was from my aviation attorney, and uh, he's been following this case very closely. And from what he told me about the case, he said, and my first concern was, well, they're going to appeal. And he goes, no, he did not think that they were going to appeal. He said this case was, you know, it was such a scathing judgment. Um, he thought that there was no way that the FAA was going to appeal. So I was pretty shocked today, honestly, to see that. And so the only thing I could think of is they're they're trying to buy some time. That's, that's the only reason that I could think of um, to to do what I don't know, draft some quick regs, uh, come up with some exemptions. That remains to be seen. Uh, but this is all really shocking how this is playing out to me. 
Well, I would agree with that. I heard that they weren't going to appeal either. Um, and I would say that the, the, the first ruling uh, was scathing. And I'm going to also say that it matches the documents that I have from the early 2000s where the head of uh, ATO pretty much said the same thing as this judge said. We don't regulate RC aircraft. Uh, these aren't really like commercial aviation or uh, operations. Um, have a nice day, you know. And that and that was the same ruling. And that came back. And those were the documents that I had used. I mean, for for a little backstory for people, I've been contending this for years. I I, I had these documents. I got the rulings from D.C. that matched that. The policy was changed. I had contended since day one that it was an arbitrary policy change, that this isn't their purview. I've gone through my congressperson's office, had them talk to them about it, and basically it's been a slough off. Um, what I am going to say about what Again, that was, I thought that the ruling was, was pretty, uh, you know, I, I thought it was a pretty heavy-duty statement. Um, even though the appeal has come down, I still am not, uh, I, I'm encouraged with, with what was said. And I would say that uh, I don't think, it shows that the, the FAA is not ironclad. That's what it shows me. Gene, what do you uh, say? You know. I, I would have to agree, and, and one of the things that that I was most surprised at is how they approached the definition of aircraft in the ruling. And you know, we've contended all along that you know the the original intent of an aircraft is for the conveyance of people and cargo. Right. And mm-hmm. that's what we had always considered aircraft to be manned, or you know, a cargo carrying was was a manned aircraft. And, you know, this ruling, to me, made so much sense because they said anytime the FAA spoke about smaller aircraft, it was prefaced by the term model aircraft. Right. And, you know, that's really what we've been flying is is model aircraft all along. And why all of a sudden it should take on the the attributes of a full-scale aircraft has been a mystery to me, but... It was sort of vindication to see that in print in a legal document. Right. Well, and I've contended that, too, all along. You know, we were talking about cargo or passengers. Is binary code really cargo, ones and zeros? Um, I don't know. But I, I do I do agree with uh, what you said, Gene. Now, uh, Gus, did, did you have some comments there? I completely agree with Gene, and I'm looking at the ruling right here, and I, I definitely think there's some vindication. Um, and, and, and I feel, I mean, I, when I'm out in the public area and I'm flying around, and some people ask, well, what, what is that? Is that a drone? And I really want to step back and say, you know what? This is really just a remote control aircraft. I am controlling this aircraft within visual line of sight. I can put control over it. Okay, it might have a GPS, I might engage from time to time. But at the end of the day, this is a remote control aircraft. And I think the FAA kind of just, just by lumping RC aircraft into this whole category of automatic system or drone, whatever, uh, it really made a mess out of the whole situation. Um, yeah, guess, that's been guess. unfortunate. You're, you're breaking up really bad. Um, is, is yeah, any... Let me call you back on the cell phone then. 
Okay, because I think yeah. you're saying uh, you, you you got some good comments or what I'm getting there, but I'm only getting about half. So yes, could you please call? Okay, just call us back. You got it. Call okay, thank you, sir. All right, let's see who we have here. Is this is this Brandon? Hello. Hi, hi, Patrick. Hey, how's it going? Very well, thank you. So um, you're in transit, correct? Yeah, that's true. I'm on my way to the South by Southwest conference down in Austin. Are you? And, uh, well, I, I'm sure you've been pretty busy. Maybe you could uh, tell us what you've been up to for the last few hours. <laughs> the last two hours I spent on the phone with various uh, reporters. And uh, so, what, what's and what's the consensus? What's what what what, what do you what, what's your takeaway from uh, for the for, for today? Well, I I think we have some long-awaited guidance from now uh, one judge who, who who has looked at the issues and has concluded that there's no enforceable uh, commercial ban on unmanned aircraft systems. Um, nor are model aircraft or drones or whatever you'd like to call them these days uh, subject to FAA regulations. Now, I, I recently heard that the FAA intends to appeal. Uh, I have not been served or received a copy of the notice of appeal, uh, but I, I just want to qualify my comments by saying that uh, the decision could be appealed and uh, on appeal it could be overturned or modified. Right. But I would say, I mean, it's been kind of the consensus that uh, what 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 the ruling came back with, and uh, the language in it, and things like that. It uh, and as I just told Gene and Gus, that it kind of uh, reflects some of the same sentiments as the documentation that I was in possession of from the early 2000s from the Air Traffic Organization in D.C. that basically said these are not aircraft. These are model aircraft, and we don't really regulate those. So what, what I see here uh, is I, I'm seeing something that uh, gives us the, the community a lot of hope. Uh, I don't think it was – I would I would definitely say I think it was decisive. There was no it – was, it wasn't wonky or, well, him and Han and, and back and forth, and maybe there's some gray area. What, would you care to comment on that? Yeah, I, I do think it was a, a very clear – uh, and, and direct uh, decision. Uh, th there were even some footnotes that um, <clears throat> really called out the uh, the absurdity of treating a model aircraft the same as a manned aircraft for regulatory purposes. Um, and it's, I think uh, th that was a very strong statement about uh, wh where matters stand uh, legally. I would I would definitely concur with that. I I, I, I agree. Um, Anything else? I mean, I know we've 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 kind of talked about this, and we had you and uh, and Raphael on the on the program, and um, I, I know when you guys kind of started this, and you were working it, and and whatever else. I mean, uh, let's let's talk about the journey thus far. Would you like to reflect on on that? Well, it, it, it's been very interesting. The the, the case has put me in touch with a lot of people and companies that have really amazing ideas for the use of this technology. And I, I see now more, more than I did even just a few months ago at, at just the, the ongoing damage that the, this regulatory approach has had on 
companies, startups, investors, and really the, the, the nation in terms of its competitiveness with respect to other countries that have embraced and permitted uh, the express use of commercial UAS operations. Um, so, I, you know, I, my, if anything, I, I, I see now how important these issues are, not just to, to Raphael, but also uh, to, to really uh, so many people across the country who've put a lot of time and money and effort into trying to develop new technologies to solve economic problems, to improve safety, to, to do beneficial things uh, economically and also uh, in, in other humanitarian or public service contexts. Brandon, right. It, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Brendan, I was wondering, uh, a lot of folks don't know the, the whole legal process or, or what's going to happen next, and I think that's, that's probably going to be an important question on everyone's mind. And I'm wondering uh, if maybe you could go through a couple of what-if scenarios. Okay, if if the FAA does appeal, who does it go to next? And, and uh, you know, what is the process? You know, you said it could be overturned or modified. If it's uh, if it's overturned, what do you do? If it's modified, what do you do? If, you know, could you could you cope, go through a couple of those? Sure. The the uh, the first step in the appeals process is to take it to the, the the full NTSB board, which is a panel of five administrative law judges who would consider uh, the, the you know the same issues that were <clears throat> that were already considered, and that's a a, a process that involves uh, a minimum of two months of of legal briefing. In other words. Uh, the FAA would put in a brief uh, within approximately 30 days of its appeal, and then we would put in a response uh, within 30 days after that. And then the decision, there, there could be oral argument um, in Washington, but it, it, whether or not there is, the decision uh, could then take uh, a fairly long period of time to to be decided, much in the way that this one took uh, approximately Two and a half months. Um, from there, if, if one of the parties is still not satisfied with the outcome, it can be further appealed to the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, which is a uh, appellate level court, federal court in Washington D.C. And there it would be heard also by a panel of judges. Though those would be uh, federal uh, appointed judges, Article Three appointed judges. Uh, who hear a variety of cases, although uh, one of the large areas of uh, review that they hear uh, is, is this kind of case, administrative appeals. Okay, well, I mean, that's that's. Uh, I, I never knew which way it was going to go, really, after it hit this point. So it's it's kind of encouraging, but uh, again, you know, if. If it continues the way it is, I mean, we're at this point. It's legal. I'm assuming it's legal. Well, well, I yeah, look. I uh, the the decision talks about you know whether there are regulations and the enforceability of the 2007 ban. Um, but uh, anyone out there who's got a business or or a person who wants to to engage in an activity 
based upon a, a court ruling or, or a legal argument really ought to, ought to consult their own attorney. Um, the, the um, you know, it, if and when an appeal is filed, it, it could effectively have the effect of um, putting the pause button on. In other words, the initial decision would not yet be considered uh, a final decision that could be used as a precedent until the appeal is resolved. So although we have a, uh, a, a positive first decision, um, you know, I, I think it, it's important for for your listeners to understand that if they uh, have have legal questions arising out of the decision, that they really should seek uh, counsel from uh, from an attorney. That's that's very good to know. Yeah, that's that's age advice. I mean, I, I would say you know, we, uh, you know, this thing has always kind of been a little bit of a sticky wicket. Um, I, I was all excited, and uh, you know, I ran out, and I had, I was like, woohoo! I got to fly, you know, in the, in the liberated skies today, also. But um, you know, it depends on what they come back with. Um, I, you know, I didn't think this would be an easy, uh, let's say, an easy fix. So we'll have to see. I will say though that. Uh, I'm encouraged by by uh, your work, sir. I think you did uh, did a good job, and you've given a lot of encouragement to the community here. And it is definitely a um, an action that has been heard around the world. And uh, I'm sure you've been a pretty popular guy as far as interviews have been concerned, and and whatever else. And um, I'm sure you're. You're you're uh, kind of happy with your work. What's uh, what does uh, Raphael think? Uh, he, he's very pleased. I, I, I think he uh, yeah yeah he he wanted to uh, you know really uh, make a difference in terms of uh, clarif- trying to clarify the, the law in this area for not just for himself but also for you know people who might. Uh, be wondering about where things really stand, and so uh, as you say, this this could be viewed as just the first step, because it does look like there will be an appellate process. Uh, but but at least it's a step in the right direction from his point of view and from mine. Um, and we'll, we'll see about the appeal. Uh, you know, one one interesting thing about the appeal that I I'm not sure anyone realizes is that the FAA actually faces some risk in in doing an appeal because one of the arguments we raised is that the FAA does not have statutory authority to regulate uh, operations below navigable airspace. And if if this case is appealed to the panel and, and then to the D.C. Circuit, that will that, that, that point was not decided by this judge. The judge decided just on the basis of the lack of enforceable regulations. But if it goes to the full panel or it goes to the District of Columbia, uh, that the issue of whether there's statutory authority will be back on the table, and it's possible that the FAA risks losing its ability to regulate uh, some of these operations in the future. Hmm. <laughs> so there's a, there is there is an inherent risk for them um, to come back on on that, huh? That's what you're basically I, saying. I, I think so. I, I think all, all the issues decided uh, or that were presented uh, to, to the original judge would be uh, considered by the full panel or by the D.C. Circuit. And one of those arguments was that 
uh, the, the airspace uh, low to the ground in your backyard is not the navigable airspace that the FAA was put in charge of regulating. Right. I know, you know, there have, there have been, you know, some gray areas with the, uh, let's say, policy and unmanned aircraft and, and that. And I think we could probably all kind of agree that uh, things kind of went down and, you know, this was kind of a gray area and this and that and the other thing. Um, and some stuff that came out of, of, of different offices, let's say, in the FAA, uh, and for my own, this is like my own opinion here, but it's kind of a little bit of the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. And I, I do think that there is a, a lot of room here for clarification and clarity, which may represent um, for the FAA. I, I would definitely say there is a risk that they they could lose some, let's say, um, of what they think they have authority of. And uh, that could even open them. And this is just a conjecture thing, but I think it might open up more issues for other aviation people. Anybody agree or disagree with that? Well, the Part 21 is pretty well established, I mean, you know, for general aviation and that sort of thing. I don't know. Uh, there, I don't think there's going to be much of a challenge to those FARs myself. You don't think so, huh? Well, I, I don't know. Anybody else want to chime in on that, or you want to just leave well, that one lie? <laughs> yeah, there could be some lack of credibility in how they're managing the unmanned aircraft sector. Um, this, this, this clearly does not look good for them at all, and I think that's, that's really a bad way for them to start uh, this integration process um, lo- looking so poorly. So um, that, that concerns me. Definitely, if, if people lose faith uh, in the ability of, of this bureaucratic agency to effectively and professionally integrate small and manned aircraft, um, public perception is going to be a major problem for them. I do, I do think that it has, for me, it has, uh, the, the, the ruling itself has definitely called that credibility into question. Um, because I, I thought it, like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't wonky. I thought it was pretty, pretty solid. And I've kind of contended all along that things were kind of, you know, I wasn't too, too sure on that. And, it, and one thing that it has done, and I, I am interested to see how this thing plays out, but uh, I, I agree, Gus, that I, I think it calls into to question some of how things let's say, uh, have transpired and how things are perceived in the future. And I'm, I, I'm more of the mindset that I want to see, um, you know, real empirical numbers instead of knee-jerk, uh, reactionary type of numbers or feelings in uh, the next go-round. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it would be great to see some, some real leadership, too. Um, I think that's lacking. Um, in this industry, so I really think I hope that that gets improved in in some way, shape, or form. Well, that is another thing that uh, we're going to try and do, and I do want to talk about that in the show, the R Kappa thing. But uh, uh, Brandon, do you, do you uh, do you have time to continue? I know you're in transit. Was there something else you'd like to add? Uh, I'm in the local tunnel, so I'm happy to talk about uh, whatever you like. Look, I. I just going back to a comment before about being happy about the outcome, I, you know, that, that's true from 
you know, a, a narrow perspective here. You know, I'm glad that we won, call it the first round. Um, I expect to, to win the next round if there is one. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also disappointed that, uh, that citizens uh, in this country, and actually in this case uh, uh, a citizen of another country, uh, is in a litigation process with, with a government that really should be supporting and nurturing this technology and helping us uh, uh, grow jobs and, 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 you know, develop uh, what is the next high-tech sector in the world. And instead, uh, you know, Chapter 1 is this litigation where we're arguing of an aircraft. And, I mean, if, that, if that's not embarrassing, uh, I don't know what is. And if it's the Oscars uh, a week ago, you may have noticed that uh, the Academy awarded an Oscar to, uh, to a drone company that does uh, aerial cinematography, that company is based in the kingdom. So we have right. uh, uh, we have one of the greatest institutions of this country uh, handing out an achievement award to a foreign company uh, for its work that would be considered prohibited and illegal in this country. If, if that isn't embarrassing, I don't know what is. Oh, we've uh, I, I would concur with that, and we've suffered uh, tons of embarrassment. Uh, as a country, you know, being being in the global airspace integration effort, I mean, it's it, it it's kind of uh, it is embarrassing. You go there, and, uh, and and not even so long ago, the FAA was was touting, "Oh, we're leading the way," you know. And obviously, we we haven't led the way. I understand that rulemaking is hard, um, you know, and all the rest of that. But I mean, uh, police, uh, we we the small um, unmanned arc. Uh, gave the recommendations 2009. I actually had breakfast with Doug Marshall this morning from New Mexico State University, who was on the arc with me, and we were both shaking our heads, just saying, you know, I can't believe how long this has taken, uh, even even for the small rule. Now, you know, I have I have heard that the small rule they're working away on that, and that's supposedly going to come out soon. But you know, even if that were to come out, I was not really happy with what was in that rule. Um, and, and I do say the other thing that this ruling does say to me is really everything that's it's almost kind of transpired thus far and, and hasn't resulted in a rule should almost be thrown out. Um, this is my own opinion, but uh, I, I'm not really happy with the, the limited envelope. Um, I have contended for a long time that people are out here operating and uh, the sky is not falling. Um, and, 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 you know, maybe there are safety issues or whatever else, but I think we need to re-examine this. They, they've, they haven't been able to figure out the data they need. They're, nobody's really been able to figure anything out. Um, and I think I, I'm ready for a larger envelope. Anybody confer, or concur with that or disagree with that? Well, I've certainly – no, I was waiting for somebody to jump in there. But I, I certainly know what sort of envelopes that I need to operate in effectively, mm -hmm. uh, and try to communicate those sorts of uh, data, if you will, for a long, long time. And it's unfortunate that people I know that are a lot smarter than me that have thought about this a long time could figure out what sort of envelopes we could fly a 4-pound aircraft, a 10-pound aircraft, a 150-pound aircraft. They should have been able to figure that out over the last seven, eight years, I think a smart person would be able to figure that out, wouldn't you? I would. Anyone else care to comment? 
Yeah, I totally agree with Gene. I, I think they've had more than enough data to to uh, at least put out some rules um, to at least get a lot of these small companies uh, started, like Brendan was talking about. Uh, the, the rulings as, as as they've been and the regular the prohibitions and the regulations has just stifled so much research and development and growth of small businesses uh, in this country and in. I, I don't think it's fair that they, FAA can blame this on a lack of data. There's, there's, there's been data out there. Uh, even if you just look at um, flights of in the hobby side, uh, there, there, there's basically very, very few incidents or any kind of problems with, with small remote control aircraft, uh, especially under 55 pounds. So they've had the data. Um, I just don't know the reason why they're not utilizing that data don't understand it well you know uh, they talk about operations and, and really the data that they need is from would be data that you would get from operating well you know it's so the chicken and an egg thing um, right. if they tried to do that with with regular aviation uh, you know you'd never get any data because it would all be grounded so it's a double standard um, I you know the other thing is is and I've contended for years um, and I think more and more as this has gotten more popular you know, there's more, let's say, examples of it on the Internet. But, uh, you know, even the numbers, I, I shared the numbers of uh, um, systems that are being sold monthly in the United States. And, and these numbers, this is only a couple of manufacturers, but these numbers are like between 12,500 to 15,000 15, systems a month are being sold. Okay? And then maybe another you know, 3,000 to 5,000 autopilots are being sold a month in the United States. And the FAA contends that, you know, there's going to be 7,500 of these uh, drones or whatever flying around in five years. They were totally taken aback at the numbers. It's, it's so far beyond. I mean, my, my question was, is, have you, has the FAA even, like, really thought about administering these types of numbers? Um, I know myself, I travel with a drone in the trunk, you know, and it's kind of some people have been kind of laughing about that, but you never know when you're going to need one. And, uh, you know, it's, I guess the big point with that is it's an off airport operation. It's a, a five minute thing. I still contend that we need, uh, um, like an exemption of some sort or a, the micro bin that's lightly regulated that people could gravitate towards, uh, that's a low weight, low speed and low risk and that people could get going today. And really, I think if the, 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 that's something that they could have been implemented years ago. Years ago it could have been implemented. It could be implemented tomorrow. It represents something that, a, a lot less than what is going on in the NAS today. And still, just, there's been nothing. And I think, uh, you know, as we've seen in the NAS, people are just tired of waiting. And they're tired of the gray area. And I think, Brandon, that's, that's one of the things, you know, that, that you're – this this trappy case is brought up. It's like you know you get all these gray areas. You're calling it arbitrarily whatever you want. You're, you're you're this is that, and we're gonna do this and blah blah blah. And they've just kind of really hemmed us into a box. Any comments on that, Mr. Shulman? Yeah, I I absolutely agree. I, I think in 2007 it probably made sense to put you know to press the pause button for a year or two. Uh, until things were figured out, but I, I don't understand the justification for for seven years of delay. 
Um, one of the reporters I spoke to today, and I think this was written up, uh, I can't remember where, but there's a suggestion that the FAA is now going to be more amenable or might be more amenable to case-by-case authorizations for SUAS commercial operations. I don't know if that really reflects any kind of change or if you've heard anything consistent or, or contrary to that, uh, but there, there was at least one report to that effect uh, in the papers today. Well, it's fortunate that today on the call we have a guy that has actually gone for that exemption. Gus, did you did you want to talk about that canary? <laughs> the wild goose chase? Yes, um, not to yeah, put I you on the spot I, or, <laughs> or anything. I thought I submitted what was a pretty solid uh, petition for exemption, and and it was even published in the Federal Register, and I w- I never even received a response from the FAA, which really disappointed me. I mean, I at least accepted, I was expecting a rejection letter or some type of explanation, uh, but the fact that I got nothing in return at all after a year was really disappointing to me, and that's when I had a feeling that either that was just completely made up or uh, I, I couldn't figure it out. I, I don't know why they would publish it and then and then not respond to me in writing. So it's a complete well, mystery. It is a mystery. It's one of those those mysteries of the world. But uh, and and just for a, a quick, you know, people that don't know who you are, because uh, I've used you as as my test case when they say, oh, well, you got to file for this exemption. And you know, Gus ha- has a a little bit of an aviation career. Could you give us like the Cliff's notes? like bio of your aviation experience real quick so people understand? Sure. Well, yeah, I'm an FAA, you know, commercial pilot. But on top of that, um, I was, I did apply for and was granted uh, Part 135 air carrier operations. So I am, uh, I've been certified to carry passengers. I've been, you know, I've demonstrated that ability to safely carry people. I've been checked out by the FAA, uh, passed a rigorous flight test, and all their examinations, my aircraft have been examined to very high standards. I've worked very closely with the FAA, and I presented all this to them in my petition, thinking, okay, if anybody should be, and I just asked for permission to fly, to fly a two-pound foam aircraft for simple aerial photography. That's all I'm asking for you for, for commercial use to do real estate, because I've been doing aerial photography for over a decade in a full-scale aircraft. And it was pretty simple and straightforward, solid background, perfect safety history for 20 years, and no response. That was really kind of disappointing, and I really didn't want to put any more effort into, uh, into that um, when, they, when they didn't respond to me. So if, if they don't respond to that, I, I don't know who they're going to respond to. Well, I, I did. Uh, I did make that point, and you, you were my test case because I'm like, you know, what chance does a guy like me with the Cracker Barrel have of going through this exemption process? <laughs> if uh, you know somebody that is, has this aviation history like you do, uh, can't get through it either. And so, right. I'm suspect on that. So, Brandon, when you when you talk about that, I know you know they have been saying that, and even you know, I mean, I, 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 I did say that I wouldn't really talk about. Every, nobody really wants me to talk about anything. It's very hard hmm. to do these programs because I talk to a lot of people. Uh, people don't want you to say things about this, and I get NDAs and all the rest of that stuff. But um, I, I just. 
That sounds good, but that's a very arduous process and something that has to be, you know, uh, published in the register and all the rest of that. Again, when we go right back to the scale of 15,000 systems being sold a month, that exemption process is not going to work. Would you guys agree right. or disagree with that? <laughs> that? Yeah, it's laughable. Yeah, it's, I agree. Totally. It's impossible. <laughs> It's just, I mean, it's one of the things that I've talked about is the scope, you know. I mean, you you understand the scope of what you're talking about here. Uh, How you're going to, all these exemptions, the exemptions down to the end number, as in, I mean, if I pulled out the far aim book over here, we could probably have a field day about all the exemptions you're going to need for an unmanned aircraft, plus the pilot's license, plus the medical, plus, you know, plus, 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 until the cows come home. It's, it, it sounds, I mean, I just see mountains and mountains of paperwork. But the, the other issue is a resource allocation issue. Why, why on earth would we want our Federal Aviation Authority uh, re- regulatory agency to spend its uh, limited budget, uh, a budget that has recently been cut, on on this, on on certifying quadcopters to fly, to fly around houses at low altitudes, it, it's not in my mind. It's not an issue of air transportation at all. I, and I there, there, there there are just better ways for the, for the federal government to spend its budget in terms of keeping people safe in the air. Which, by the way, I I think they do a great job. I mean, I'm I'm about to get I, on an airplane. I, I feel very I feel very yeah. safe on the airplane. Uh, to their credit, and uh, I, you know, don't uh, you know have any disrespect uh, for the agency for that. Um, but th- this is something completely different, and doesn't necessarily belong in the hands of of an agency with limited resources. I would, I think we'd all concur with that. The 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 part, you know, the the one twenty one, the one thirty five stuff. They do an excellent job, and I would uh, concur that I'd rather keep them focused on that than focused on foam. And uh, I also think, though, too, you know, the, uh, you know, and this might be another area here we could kind of delve off into, but the enforcement, um, you know, if, and I've always contended, if this is such a serious safety, egregious safety issue, where is the comprehensive enforcement? You know, we've had, and they've had many years to work on that. And uh, I don't know, you know, I know that... uh, Raphael was kind of the the first guy to get the the official, um, you know, let's say, notice there that uh, something was awry. It seems like a long time and a lot of people that have just kind of, I guess, been missed. And, you know, any impressions on that? Brandon, first, any any impressions on that? Uh, I go back to the resources issue. I I just don't think they have the people to to get out there and do anything. They seem to be attuned to people who post videos or put things on their websites uh, that, that may or may not be the way they identified Trappy's Virginia flight as, as something of concern to them. Uh, I don't think they're doing nothing. I, I mean, I, I, I am aware of other investigations that I can't talk about. Um, it remains to be seen... Uh, you know whether those go anywhere in terms of enforcement, but they 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 do look at situations and consider what what to do about them. And I I suppose this decision may have an impact on at least in the short term on on whether they move forward or or not with uh, 
nefarious enforcement options. Yeah, and I'm, you know, that is funny. We're going to have to do like a whole show of things that cannot be talked about. <laughs> you know, we could have like all these, these like teaser titles. Oh man, you know we got, uh, uh, but we can't talk about it. <laughs> don't, don't invite, don't invite a lawyer to your show if you want someone. You know, no, it's, no. Uh, it's actually kind of exceptional uh, that you know Trappy is happy to have me talk about the issues. In most instances, we don't talk about um, our clients' cases or, or or what we what we think the next steps are. But you know, th- this is a, a case of great. Uh, public interest, and you know, it's about government regulation, and uh, Trappy's fully supportive of of having the the non-confidential uh, parts of his case uh, discussed uh, publicly. Right. Well, and I wasn't only talking about you. It's just I had said a few minutes ago. It's like you know, you you get these sources, or you talk to people about things, and they they ask you not to mention things, or hey, could you sign this NDA? And we can't we can't really go <laughs> delve deeply into it. I just hope people understand that it's a uh, that is just a part of uh, of something uh, where there's business involved and regulation involved. But um, uh, you know, I do appreciate you coming on and talking about this. And I know that uh, you know we can't we got to play the cards. You know, uh, so of course close to the vest. But uh, uh, the enforcement scale. You know, on that scale, and I know that there are other things going on, but but really, again, you know, some of these enforcement issues that that are ongoing, um, and, and the scale of how many people are actually out there flying, I, I think it's, it represents a very small number, in my mind. So we'll have to see how how that all plays out. But I do think that there's a you know there is, there is a, a better use of uh, resources, and I, I don't even think that they've, uh, they've got the numbers on what they would need to to kind of corral this industry. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, any any comments, uh, Gene? Concerning the numbers, oh, I've, I I can tell you right now that uh, there, you drive down any street and you'll see numbers of numbers of drones as they call them out there flying around and yeah i i i'm, I'm totally on board with the fact that uh, they they're off base on their numbers and and Gus i mean what have you been seeing i know i talked to you the other day you were out at the flying field too uh, what 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 are you seeing out there are you seeing more people um, you seeing these things all over the place what's going on more and more than and particularly this year um here in southern california the amount of guys who are out uh, filming particularly uh not only just for real estate but who are in and around the la area involved in the television um and and the film industry has just increased dramatically over the last year it's not slowing down at all um i think some of the new systems that are more affordable and easier to operate like the dji phantom are, are bringing a lot of people into this industry, um, and that trend is just going to be continuing at a very rapid rate. And that was not a paid endorsement. <laughs> no, that was, I am not endorsed by DJ. I say that no, <laughs> no, but it is true, and and I am starting to see that aircraft uh, in, in many many locations. I met with a gentleman yesterday who. Civil engineer, um, very, very interested in, in using this technology for other applications. I'm seeing professional people, um, you know, see the interest and the value in this technology. 
and they are acquiring these systems. They're learning how to fly. They're, they're at least seeking out instruction and, and, and approaching me and, and asking for some guidance, which is great. Uh, but the, the numbers, it's hard to even imagine how many people are out filming today. I, I just couldn't even comprehend how many people are doing it right now. Oh, yeah, there's tens. Well, here, we got a caller from the 267 area code. Let's, let's see what the, uh, the man on the street has to say. Caller from 267. Are you there? Hey, Patrick. How's, how's it going? This is actually Terry Kilby from Elevated Element. How are you today? Good. How are you, sir? Not too bad. Well, what you know, you, you've been listening to the topic. I know you've been holding for a while, and uh, you know. So basically, uh, you know, what, what are what are your your thoughts, operator on the street guy? Sure. Well, um, to kind of continue the same conversation that was just running, we actually have a couple of meetup groups that we organize, and we're seeing just explosive growth in that area. Um, one in D.C., one in Baltimore. The D.C. group is approaching quickly 800 members. Uh, the Baltimore group is quickly approaching 200. And, again, it's all been within the last 12 months that this growth has, has just really exploded. And it's, it's people that you wouldn't normally think. We're seeing people who have never had any type of RC experience in the past, people who aren't necessarily photographers, just a wide range of people coming out and trying to explore this, uh, this new technology and, and see how they can get involved. It, it's really been incredible. And, and you're seeing, too, I mean, I don't know if you're in touch with the Texas Drone Users Group, but there's, there's, there's quite a few guys out there. Gene, do you know how many guys are in that Texas Drone Users Group? The last number I heard, Patrick, for the North Texas Drone Users Group was 2,400. Wow. And what do, what do they say? And Everything again, is big in all, Texas. Right. Yeah. Well, again, that's part of the same network. It's the Drone Users Group network. Right. right. Yeah, we have a, we have a, a New York City uh, chapter of that. It hasn't been all that active uh, lately, although we're trying to kind of rev it up, uh, I, I know the people who are involved in that. I can't remember membership numbers. I, I think it's around 600, maybe 800, but uh, wow. if you don't get those numbers out at, uh, at the meet, you know, you might get a, a dozen people. Well, the, sure. there's well, a, mean, lot of, a lot of interest. Um, I mean, it's the same thing if you, you see over at the do-it-yourself drone site. I think they said they have like 40,000 members have signed up, you know. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know that they're on the page all the time, but I, I, it shows, it shows an interest. Um, you know, even that uh, multi-rotor group over at RC Groups has always got over two thousand people in the forum at all times. I mean, if you post something there, I mean, it, it's gone. It's just the page is gone. It's that's how hot it is. So. Everybody and their dog is kind of getting interested in this right now. I, I, I see uh, 2014 as being an, almost like 2012 was, which was a very hot year for the drone subject. And I think if we've also seen the tech people getting into this, I mean, another big story now that's been eclipsed was Facebook talking about buying that, that high-altitude drone, drone company. What was it, Titan? Or, it seems like that was so long ago. That was so long ago. That was the big news from, you know, what was that, two days ago? I don't know. I'm on a 24-hour news cycle. I'm talking to people in China and multiple countries in Africa, uh, you know, 
all over Europe. I, I'm hardly sleeping anymore. And uh, but it is the, the whole thing has gone global. Uh, the news is big, and I think you're going to see more and more companies. I am a little I'm a little disappointed because you know what I was really hoping with. Um, you know, the, the good news that we had about this is that we would have a window of at least five, six, seven months or something that would open, the window would open and the general public would be able to see like they're getting a view in Europe of the good that this technology can do. A lot of people are starting to realize, hey, the drones aren't scary. They're out here and they're helping us do this, this uh, public and private asset management and we're using them for farming and we're using them for, uh, you know, oil exploration or counting animals and all the rest of that stuff. And overwhelmingly what's happening in Europe is people are like, hey, this, this technology is saving the taxpayer money. It's saving farmers money. I don't know if people are, are realizing that savings, let's say, in their own pocketbooks. But they're starting to open up to the drones and say, oh, God, this is, this is great. You know, they're not scary. This isn't something that we have to be afraid of. This is something that's good. Um, you know, wow, okay, I'm glad that they're kind of here. And that was really kind of what I was hoping that would, would happen here. We would get that window where the public would, would get a chance to see the good that they did. Anybody else want to add to that? Nailed that one, shit. Well, I think some of it, some, some of it has it, you know, been exposed, but for whatever reason, it's it's just not catching traction. It, it seems that there's for for every good story that comes out, there's just as much noise that's going to drown it out. Yeah, well, I don't know, Gene. What do you think? <clears throat> well, no, I I, I agree uh, to a certain extent that there is a lot of noise out there, but uh, you know it. I think that people are starting to get that there are positive uses. I know that a lot of the reporters and the people that I talk to these days are wanting a positive story. They're tired of the, the, the predator stories where somebody gets blown up or killed or anything like that. And I think that there, the pendulum is starting to swing the other way. Well, and that kind of leads me into the next topic. And, uh, you know, for people that read the SUAS News, I wanted to talk about this. We The the story went out about how the R. Kappa, the phoenix, rises out of the ashes. And this has kind of been in a... Uh, this has kind of been something that we've been trying to reconstitute for a while, but uh, we've really felt, and the R. Kappa has always been a pro-business, small business group. And uh, we never felt really like we had, we had representation from people that really represented us. I mean, you know, it's kind of like the Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You know, we, the AMA, you know, the porridge was too cold and yada, yada. Um, and we were really looking for this business thing that doesn't have, let's say, any of the negative connotations of the military or, let's say, uh, you know, police privacy issues, and so we've been we've been kind of thinking about this for a while. We are reworking uh, some of that, and we are relaunching that. And and I and I've been hearing a lot of positive feedback about that. And actually, the, today the Arcapa site has been on fire, and people have been over there joining and, and other things. Um, and I and and Gene and Gus are actually uh, board members of that and helping us with that. Gene, did you have something that you would like to add? Yeah, certainly. Uh, the the response has been incredible for RCAPA, 
And uh, I, I think really it was summed up quite nicely that uh, if you are a hobbyist, then you go to the AMA. And uh, if you're military DOD, then you have UBSI. And if you want to be a professional photographer using an aerial platform, you go to the RCAPA. And the community-based standards that we've come up with a long time ago, uh, while they certainly need to be updated, they are as relevant today as they were back then, and they will continue to be. And I think it's going to be very important that we continue to be and work toward the unified voice that we intended to be back in 2007. Gus, would you like to add? Yeah. I completely agree with Gene, and I'm really honored you guys uh, invited me to be part of the board. Um, I, I, like Gene said, it, it seems like there was a, a vacuum um, for people who are interested in the commercial sector. Um, like Gene was saying, AMA was clearly representing the hobbyist. You know, you had AUBSI for the DOD, but that left this emerging market with nobody to turn to for leadership for proper guidelines, a direction to move forward. So I'm really excited to be uh, a part of, of you know, rebooting RCAPA and, and uh, really kind of helping give guidance to so many people who I meet out there when I go out flying to different flying fields who want to get interested, who are fascinated by the technology, but they don't really know where to go for correct information. And that's a big problem. Um, AUBSI really isn't providing that information. Um, AMA does it somewhat for the hobbyists, but for people who wanting wanting to get really into this, into the commercial side, uh, there's definitely a need uh, for better educational material, for more information, place where people can go for eventually going to be able to provide insurance so that they can operate commercially with, you know, ha having a sound insurance company backing them. Uh, I think that's it's absolutely critical, and I'm really looking forward to being a part of that organization. I would agree with all of that. Now, Terry, are you a member of RCAPA? I'm actually on the site right now. I'm just about to sign up. Thanks for uh, recommending it. <laughs> <laughs> right, how about, uh, Brandon, are you a member of RCAPA? Uh, no, I, I don't uh, fly uh, RC uh, for commercial so uh, not, not currently a member. I'm glad to hear, though, that you're, you're, you're working on, on turning it into uh, something more active today. I think, you know, the, the things that an active industry needs in, include, uh, you know, trade associations. And, uh, you know, from my point of view, uh, we need law firms that, <clears throat> that know something about the laws in this area, whether it's insurance law or um, uh, aviation regulations or First Amendment uh, framework in, in terms of uh, the use of drones uh, in journalism, and so you know that's one reason we've put together the, the group that we have uh, to address unmanned aircraft systems law. Um, so I'm you know, glad to hear that you've got an effort that you're working on to, to move things forward. Well, and, and and all of these uh, things that you're talking about are all part of an industry. You know, we we got a there was a uh, Dire Straits song about you know. All of these parts of industry that came uh, came together, and uh, you know, uh, we we need we need lawyers, we need insurance people, we need finance people, uh, we need uh, associations, uh, we need to come together. But uh, one thing that I, I think is really uh, 
helped us ignite this is the work that you've done uh, and, and this case with Trappy has given us all a little bit of hope. But it, 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 more than the hope, I think it's, it's kind of rekindled the fire and said, you know what, we, we better, if we don't want, you know, what we've been getting in the past here, then we better get proactive, get on the ball, and get in front of this thing. And that's kind of where we were with the R Kappa back in uh, 2004 and five was, you know, we wanted to get the insurance, and then we heard that they were going to regulate this. Hey, we better get in front of it. And the feds kind of wore us out. They have a way of doing that. Um, so one one last note before we, we sign off is the the small UAS, um, our small unmanned systems business exposition. I know, Brandon, you can't make it because you actually have a prior engagement on a project you were working on, which is too bad. We were hoping you could come out, but, you know, can't be everywhere at one time. Florida. Yeah, so maybe next year, you know, you could come out and tell us some more good news. Um, the only other piece of interesting news that was just breaking on that is DJI has said that they are actually um, interested in sponsoring the uh, RCAP workshop that uh, Gus Calderon will be heading up. And I guess, again, Gus is the... Uh, is on the show today, and we were really looking for a sponsor for that, just like we were looking for a sponsor for the SAR workshop that Gene's going to do, because I want both of these gentlemen to be more concerned with what they believe is important to their field of expertise than making sure, you know, somebody's getting their $25 worth or whatever. Uh, I wish I could be in both of those uh, workshops, um, Gene and, and Gus. Maybe, Gus, you could just give us a little, uh, you know, short rundown of what you think that workshop will consist of. Sure. I'm going to go over a little bit about my background of, of putting cameras and video cameras into first fixed-wing aircraft. started that right around 2006. And basically my experience with a whole variety of different cameras and then getting involved into multi-rotors a few years ago. And uh, I'd like to answer a lot of questions. Uh, I have a pretty good idea what newcomers are looking for just from when I go out flying at the local flying fields, the questions that I get. And I'd like to, to really help people guide them in the right direction, maybe make wiser choices about selecting the right equipment, selecting the right cameras, um, basically use the experience, um, some of the pitfalls that I ran into, uh, some of the challenges that I had to, to help people, um, you know, get into this field with, with uh, as easily as they can and have the best results that they can. So I'd like to share my experiences with them and then also kind of convey some of my aviation safety experience as far as the best way to operate this equipment. I think that's going to be critical as well. Uh, and I agree with that. I think that the safety thing is a big issue and uh, or a relevant issue. And I think everyone should get on to the Drone TV Network site and watch the video about uh, safety and deconflicting the airspace that you're flying in, not only because I'm in it, but that should be enough for you to run out there and see it now because <laughs> uh, there's, there's an important, important message in there. But uh, that's about all the time we have for today's podcast. Hey, thank you, everyone, for being on. Uh, great conversation. Uh, Brandon, keep up the, the good work, and uh, we'll see everyone next week. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank hey, see you later. See you. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye.